Welcome to A Long Time in Finance, the podcast that takes a sharp and sometimes acerbic look at the often absurd world of money through the eyes of two journalists who've, well, spent quite a long time in finance. That's me, Jonathan Ford, and him, Neil Collins. Welcome okay. everybody and uh, welcome to the latest edition. What are we talking about this uh, week, uh, Well, Neil? we're talking about nuclear energy, Goodness or more gracious. specifically, yeah. the suggestion that the future lies with so-called small modular reactors, which are reactors know. which can be built in a factory and then transported to where they have to operate, unlike current nuclear reactors, which are vast construction projects. Uh, and as we see with Hinkley Point, can take decades to do. And uh, One decade, I think. Well, let's say one decade and counting. Mm. It's not producing any electricity yet. So this sounds like a very good idea, because if you but can... You missed the most important thing, which is, oh is Britain is back in the nuclear business. Oh, sorry. Britain is back in the back. nuclear business. <laughs> yes. And how? Uh, anyway, the, the, the great advantage these things have uh, is that you can uh, you, you can you can build them in a factory to precision uh, measurements, yeah. uh, and then take them somewhere, and then they'll work first time uh, in in a, that rather agreeable way that if you plug and play. Um, however, uh, these things are not as simple to make as let us say even a motor car um, and they require a great deal of expertise well can we start okay, maybe maybe we can start with a little a bit of history history you, lesson why not yeah 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 so basically uh, so basically um so britain has had uh, britain was actually one of the earliest countries to, um, in fact, the first country to go into civil nuclear power when it built a power station at a place called Calder Hall in 1956. And even by the end of the 60s, we had sort of probably more reactors than anyone else in the world outside the United States. But the problems all came uh, with when, when Britain tried to go to a sort of second generation nuclear power station design called the advanced gas-cooled reactor, which are, which are a bit like this latest scheme with the small modular reactors, which, which we hope, I think, did we mention that the government's given 210 million quid to Rolls-Royce to produce some no, a we prototype? Haven't. We okay. haven't, but apparently that's half the budget that the uh, the consortium that's trying to make these things yeah. is, is expected to spend right. on making its prototype. So we're so this is a by British kind of solution. We're yeah. going to do it. We're going to for the first time really since the sixties. We're going to have a, a go at building a reactor. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a bit of a replay of the um, advanced gas cooled reaction. Well, I was coming is... to that. Okay, yes, I'm sorry. I thought I'd beat you <laughs> yeah, to it. No, 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 no. no. This, anyway, is, this is another triumph of, uh, of British, British engineering. engineering. Yeah. So basically, they built. So they had to decide to uh, replace the first generation power stations and various ideas were considered in the end they plumped for a kind of souped up version of the first lot so this is the AGR 
And they built a little prototype at a place called Windscale and it worked fine. So everyone thought this is going to be an absolute doddle. We know what we're doing. We've done all this before. And then what they discovered was when they tried to scale up their little demonstration model, it turned out to be much, much, much harder than they had thought. And the, the very first AGR was built at a place called Dungeness in Kent. And it was started in 1965 and was supposed to be built by 1970. It finally opened in 1983. Ah, so that's just uh, 13 years late, which in this industry sounds about par. Yeah, and basically the AGR programme was a bit of a catastrophe um, all round. Uh, I always like the the fact that Fred Lee, who was the... uh, Harold Wilson's Minister of Power, politician now, is sadly largely forgotten, is remembered mainly from for one one phrase which he uh, threw out in the House of House of Commons when he announced that the AGR was going to be picked. He said, "Britain has hit the jackpot." And <laughs> <laughs> oh and, boy, I think being hit over the head. A by rather the more like... realistic assessment was offered by the customer, the <laughs> chairman of the CEGB, the Central Electricity Generating Board, <laughs> about a decade later, where he described the programme as a catastrophe that must not be repeated. Uh-huh. But we are, and that, on that on that note, of course, we come back to Rolls Royce, which is yes. um, we are um, now, looking at doing exactly that. Now I. You see, the the, the, the PR for mm. these uh, small modular mm. reactors has been very cleverly uh, promoted because I was under the impression that because Rolls-Royce are, sli- are so good at making these reactors which mm. power nuclear submarines, yeah. then it would really be a simple step to use the same technology to make these land-based small reactors and Rolls-Royce could uh, is perfectly positioned to to do that but I understand that this is not quite the case well, it's not quite yes it's it takes then what what they're not planning to do is to literally pull a reactor out of a submarine and kind of put it on land that's certainly the way it's been sold um they are and 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 also that would be quite difficult to do commercially because uh, those submarines, if you've noticed recently with the fabled AUKUS submarine deal with the Australians, in order to basically, um, which has caused such a big fuss about replacing the French, kicking out the French of some nuclear sub- or submarine deal they were doing with the Australians and replacing them yeah, with yes, the Americans. Yes, yes, get on with it. Anyway, you were just frowning. I suddenly thought, God, you don't know what's going on. Um, the... the uh, simply to give the Australians details of the reactor that they would use in these nuclear submarines, they have to enter into a treaty with uh, Britain and America because it's secret. And so Uh, clearly, and and Rolls-Royce doesn't really own the IP to that reactor because it's all subject to a thing called the UK-USA Mutual Security Agreement of 1958. So it's not... So it's not a commercial uh, thing at all. So it's rather more difficult than just taking these little things which fit so neatly inside the hull of a submarine and say, well, actually, they'll fit quite neatly inside the uh, a, a small warehouse and generate electricity while they do it. No, these reactors are much bigger than submarine reactors. They're actually pretty much the same size as the late lamented AGR. Um, they're about, I don't know, six to seven hundred megawatts, which is 
would have certainly 30 or 40 years ago been about the biggest reactors around. But now, so, of course, there are much bigger ones. So small nuclear they're reactor. They're medium-sized. They're... <laughs> medium-sized. Oh, let me see. Okay. M for medium. M and R. Okay, well, I'm glad we've got that straight. Uh, uh, the next thing is that how much of this do you think you get for an investment of £500 million? Pounds? Do you really think that you get to a point where you can say, here is our prototype and we can knock them out for a fixed price in significant quantities to make an impact on our energy needs? Uh, well, that's quite a complicated question. Um, Obviously, I don't have the, sadly, I don't have the ability to see into the future. Um, I suppose that all I would say is, unless you build a prototype and put up the cash, you're never going to find out one way or another. This is true. So, right? so, 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 so I, 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 I don't know the answer. My point is that in the context of spending on nuclear, mm. 500 million pounds is a bit of a rounding error uh, because they tend to be measured in tens of billions of pounds correct these uh, conventional yeah. ones yeah and that and that to be fair is one of the reasons why people are investigating the small to medium-sized reactors um because essentially big big ones and th there are reasons why people want to make bigger and bigger reactors there are sort of there's a sort of economy of scale in that um, the reactor we're building at Hinkley Point, which is, there are two of them, each reactor is 1,700 megawatts, which is, you know, two and a half times the size of whatever Rolls-Royce would build. But it won't cost two and a half times less necessarily or take two and a half times less time to build than that very large reactor. So, and also it will basically, you know, it's a complicated business just building a nuclear reactor. So. So there are, but but the argument for building smaller reactors is that the kind of sticker price is more affordable because twenty two billion pounds is such a huge amount of money to put at risk for ten years building a reactor before you generate a, a, a cent of power that it's extremely hard to finance. Whereas it's actually more conceivable that utilities or large industrial groups would be able to afford a, say, three billion to five billion pound reactor. Yes, I can see that. Uh, and of course, the time scale is much lower and the amount that you have to spend pouring concrete yeah. is much less. Yeah, it's less so risk. So I can see that they have a considerable advantage if indeed they can be made for the sort of, uh, the sort of sums that people are hoping for. In other words, sort of perhaps a tenth of the cost of a of, of a Hinkley point um, and uh, I think it's certainly worth risking uh, 200 million pounds of, of taxpayers money yeah. given the fact that we have very serious problems in trying to meet electricity demand uh, in the few years to come uh, in the uh, given the constraints on other sources of energy which are coming down the track hmm. yeah I, th I, th I think I think I, I, I agree in fact I would I would say that um, you know we haven't really talked very much about net zero and all that and decarbonization but I mean I all I would say about nuclear is um, there are really only two options for 
zero carbon electricity that we really have at the moment. One is nuclear, the other is renewables. And, you know, renewables, the fundamental problem is they need to be backed up with something. And often that thing that they're backed up with is gas or coal. In some cases, this winter, we'll probably find. And the only t- and, and it is undoubtedly, you know, evidentially um, true that the only time that the world in the modern era has reduced its dependence on fossil fuels, which is what we're, you know, the direction of policy of, we're trying to go down, uh, was in the between the 1970s and 1990s when most nuclear power was built. And it was mainly because of the expansion of the nuclear sector. Yes. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's it's very sad that that didn't go on. But uh, I think that looking back, the reasons were people got completely spooked about nuclear. They thought that the very word was um, essentially radioactive. Yeah. And uh, there would be no amount of health and safety measures which would be sufficient to reassure people that it was a safe way of generating electricity. Yeah. In fact, across the world, and particularly across the West and Japan, mm. the safety record of nuclear is really second to none. Yeah. Uh, and the, 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 the risks are really trivial, uh, but there is a very serious image problem that yes. it has. And I don't think that it's going to become a key part of decarbonisation unless and until that image problem is overcome uh, and uh, people understand that they get far more uh, radioactivity from a holiday in Cornwall than they do spending a lifetime next door to a nuclear power station. It's very difficult to get this across, I'm afraid. I think it is. Although the one point I would make is I think that the rising whatever salience or whatever the word is that you know politically that climate change now has you know most surveys of opinion suggest that you know people do see this as an issue and more than they did even a few years ago and i think that one of the things that that has led to is a growing sense that there are probably not so many easy choices in this debate. If you want to achieve uh, some sort of reduction in emissions, you have to look at all the available options and, and I suppose, a growing awareness of, you know, um, how hard it might be to um, do it all, for example, with renewables. I mean, one only has to look at the example of Germany where they've spent nearly 600 billion euros on um renewable energy and have barely dented their emissions they're much much higher than they are in the uk or france which of course has a very high nuclear um uh component in its electricity and has the lowest uh emissions in europe well german uh panic uh which uh, led to the closure of their nuclear stations mm. Uh, has essentially left them dependent on burning brown coal, which is about the worst thing that you can think of in terms of yeah. uh, the emissions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they are now... Well, they're trying to do less of that, but that's made them more dependent on 
Yeah, Vladimir Putin. Quite. I'm not sure many Germans would think that that's an improvement. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, and and what's interesting about Germany is that there there are also signs from the opinion polls there that the public is more and more sceptical about the decision to scrap nuclear and get rid of it completely. And indeed, a majority of Germans, which certainly wouldn't have been the case 10 or 20 years ago, are now in favour of having nuclear in the mix. So, mm. I don't know, it's a bit early to tell whether this will, will, you know, what this will translate into. But I suppose my point is, you know, more public support or less public hostility will make it easier for governments to con contemplate new nuclear reactors and policies that might support them. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and uh, to be fair, and it grieves me greatly to be fair to this administration, <laughs> the first. Um, that they are trying to move us in that direction by uh, making positive noises about nuclear, whereas a year or three ago uh, it was sort of beyond the pale and alongside coal and oil. Um, but now the reality is dawning that there's no possibility of carbon neutrality, um, however it's measured, without nuclear power. Mm. The mm. idea that we can power the whole country on wind and sun is uh, a sort of green fantasy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as was demonstrated the other day when there was no wind in the North Sea, uh, they had to fall back on coal uh, yeah. to uh, to keep the lights on, yeah. uh, and uh, the it's a it is an inbuilt characteristic of wind and solar that it is intermittent, mm. and we don't like that because mm. most of our economy is built on the premise of. Uh, of, of constant electricity uh, and indeed if you start thinking about what might happen if it became intermittent then the the economic power costs cuts. would be uh, yeah power cut or sort of brown out good for um, candle sales I see <laughs> from the 1970s not, not a tip though I think <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know that I think that uh, the uh, the the people who are saying, oh, well, it'll all be fine, we can all, all be green and biomass and uh, all these other things will, will come to our rescue, uh, I fear uh, are the same sort of people who are expecting the lights to come on when they turn the switch. And mm. you cannot have both. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. And to come, I mean, to come back to, uh, come back to nuclear and for a second... So I think we're on, on a rare note of agreement here. We're sort of agreeing that it's worth oh having a having a punt, and, yeah. uh, but, and I think that's a very good way of putting it. And actually. I think, but I think we have to acknowledge that mm. um, Rolls Royce will have to, you know, it's not an absolute, you know, conclusive slam dunk or whatever that Rolls Royce will come up with something that it was commercially attractive. But the good news is there are alternatives. There are other reactor types. Do you mean alternatives choose. to the alternatives? The alternatives to the alternative. So other people are working on small reactors in America. There are various companies like NewScale which are looking at doing uh, small reactors. So if the Rolls-Royce thing turns out to be a bit of a cul-de-sac, um, it doesn't mean that 
there's nowhere to turn. And and I do think, I suppose, thinking back to those lessons from the 1960s, you know, much as we all want to see British engineering doing well and uh, producing fantastic products that people want to buy, uh, we don't want to be so kind of um, blinkered in our enthusiasm no, for no, no. I think our own technology is... that we, we don't see if the writing is on the wall. It's I, not going to work. I think what you mean is we don't, want to be in a position where our product is so good nobody else wants to buy it yes 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 the kind of concord sort of uh quite thing yes so tsr2 yeah but but one last point just one last point from me which is on you know we touched on the whole question of safety and safety was obviously one of the things that um, the huge increase in safety regulation that took place in the 70s and 80s was one of the things that made nuclear very expensive to build. And, um, and it clearly, um, that can't be rolled back. You can't sort of start and mm. say, actually, we'll, we, and as you said, Neil, uh, you know, the safety performance of nuclear is vastly superior to that of oil, gas and coal. Well, every every other in form terms of... of yeah, uh, apart yeah. from, well, it's bad. The renewables don't tend to I don't kill know many people. Many people have been killed by, by rotating windmills, but probably a few no. have. So, 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 but... Um, but I don't think you're going to be able politically to roll that back and say, well, that was all a mistake, let's have a less safe one. But I think what you will see with the next generation, maybe this will come through with the smaller reactors, is, you know, moving to new types of safety systems which are much, much simpler. Mm. Effectively getting some of that insane complexity which we had to effectively retrofit into most of the existing fleet. And um, and, and that will make it... And, and if there is better public, you know, more public consent for nuclear, that whole process will probably be a bit easier. I'm sure that's right. And we can only hope that uh, on this occasion, we can build something which is genuinely world competitive rather than just made in Britain and we better have more of them. Yeah. So, yeah. Go, go rolls. <laughs> <laughs> go, go rolls. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that's 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 it, and uh, it was very nice to talk to you yet again on these such interesting subjects. Oh, else? Jonathan, it's a pleasure as always. <laughs> very good. <laughs>